Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Okay, podcast, what's up? This is me, Dan the Fitness Man. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, if you're new to this podcast, we talk about do-it-yourself public land elk hunting, crushing the elk hunting learning curve we talk about fitness nutrition we talk about being a family man or woman and really just having your priorities in check using elk hunting as leverage to make yourself the best version of yourself through discipline of course what else and you know guys i'm excited because uh we have awesome sponsors in the podcast thank you discipline thank you delayed gratification thank you hard work Thank you, accountability, for your actions. I appreciate all your help in sponsoring the show. Shoutouts-wise, want to give a shout-out to Vortex Optics. I'm rocking the 10x42 razors, getting ready to do a little bit of bear hunting when you listen to this. So that's what I use primarily for my glassing stations. Uh, I do pack a spotter at 85 mil, but mainly that's what I'm combing the country with. Shout-out to XO Mountain Gear. I'm rocking that... 5,500 that I can condense down pretty tight. Hopefully we'll have a bear on the back of there. And I'm navigating all through the bear country using Onyx Hunt. And when I do that, I'm basically using the topography feature and then I'm bouncing like the satellite overlay to find little openings where bears are gonna come out of the timber. I'm on that thing all day. Plus I always pack trail cameras when I'm bear hunting, which is probably weird to some of you, but. Dude, a lot of good elk country overlaps with good bear country. And if you don't have a camera on you, can't put it out. You got to waste another trip back. And then I'm always packing extra memory cards because I'll come across other cameras I left out year round. Got to swap out batteries and stuff. So shout out to all those guys, man, for just really taking care of me. And right now I'm going to be using, I'm going to switch to a lighter boot just to do some testing. Kenetrex got their Bridger Ridge and they have like the highs. I'm gonna use the high and just test that out. But I'm always going back to the desert guides or the mountain extremes. I like a high boot. Both those are pretty awesome. So anyways, just wanted to give some plugs. Uh, Elk Shape Camp's coming up June 21st to the 23rd. We got spots left. In fact, I said it on social media, the next three athletes that register, yeah, you're an athlete. Uh, you're getting a tight spot quiver, five arrow black or subalpine, your choice. And that's pretty cool. And every participant that uh, comes to Elk Shape Camp, we're going to put your name in the hat and draw a winner for, you know, a pair of Kinetrek uh, Bridger, Bridger Ridge Highs. So someone's walking out with those boots. That's gonna be cool. We also give away a pair of Vortex Razors at camp and some other stuff I can't talk about, but it'll be a surprise. So we hook guys up pretty good with gear and a few discount codes with some of my sponsors. Speaking of discount codes, uh, if you're in the elk hunting game, you wanna tighten it up, check out none other than Corey Jacobson's University Elk Hunting. Discount code is elk shaped 20% off the course, 45 chapters, 
ridiculous amount of modules. Um, I put a fitness thing in there for him, made a video, so that's in there. So check that out if you're interested in, you know, shortening the elk hunting learning curve. I think that's one of your best bets. Uh, add another couple discount codes is, well, check the show notes. Siberian Coolers, better than the Y brand. Check that out. I got a discount for them. Uh, FNX Supplements. I take the greens, the multi, the krill, and the refuel whey. I got a discount code. Read the show notes if you're interested. Okay, so today we're bringing on Scott Carr. I think he's actually going to be coming to the Elk Shape Camp. He does something kind of cool uh, down in Oregon with a group of guys, and he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about being a fat kid and not being fat anymore and talking about sucking at elk hunting and then going right into how he killed, oh, 19 elk to date, uh, and he had over a decade of tag soup. So a really cool learning curve story, which always inspires me, and he's a hard worker, great dude, blue collar, just our kind of people. So yeah, without further ado, let's get into it. And hey, if you are thinking about signing for Elk Shape Camp, quit thinking and start doing. I need 40 spots filled. I want to change 40 athletes' lives with the help of Ryan Lampers covering backcountry nutrition. The Dirt Durham, who now works for Phelps Game Calls, is going to be instructing you how to use Phelps Game Calls. It's going to be epic. Bringing in Jeff Bynum to give you guys some financial coaching so you'll get time with him. And I know that's important because if I look at my downloads, which I can analytics-wise, are some of our most downloaded shows are the two that he's been on talking finances. So money's a big concern for everybody. Let's talk about it. I'm going to cover your nutrition and your fitness. And then my man, my guru, my Yoda, Josh Jones, the sleeping giant of the camp, is going to archery coach you and founder Train to Hunt, Kenton Claremont, putting on a private Train to Hunt course in small groups. So this is going to be an epic weekend. I know there's other events out there, but do yourself a favor. Get to Spokane, Washington, June 21st through the 23rd. All right. Now to the show. This is Scott Carr, Elk Shape Podcast. Elk Shape Podcast, episode 6-9 with me, Dan, the fitness man. Today, sitting down with Scott Carr. How you doing, brother? I'm good. How about you? Man, I'm good. It's like, uh, it's Wednesday for me, and it feels like a Friday. I kind of Got all my nasty, hard things out of the way for the week. I'm, I'm on the downhill slide. How about you? Well, it's a Wednesday. <laughs> you know, my week my week runs, you know, pretty much Monday to Friday. And then I get to have fun on the weekends. So I'm lucky to have a schedule like that. Well, I appreciate you taking the time uh, out of your busy work day to talk elk hunting and fitness with me. Um, I can't think of a better guy. But... Uh, I don't know you that well, so I guess give us the old runaround of Scott Carr. Like, how'd you how did you start hunting? How did you get into the whole archery thing? And how long you been at it? Um. Well, let's see. I mean, I've hunted my whole life. I mean, I can remember being like, like 10, 11 years old before we could even get a hunter safety card, you know, and just, um, you know, just that was like. The only thing you looked forward to more than that was maybe getting a driver's license when you were a kid, you know. So um, I remember getting hunter safety and being 12 years old and going out with my stepdad and hunting. And and that was kind of the beginning of it, you know. So that was – I didn't start, you know, really bow hunting until – I'm trying to remember. It would have been in the – maybe in the mid to later 90s. <laughs> my brother owed me some money. He'll probably hate me for saying this, but he paid me <laughs> back by get by giving me a bow. It was like a it was like a Martin Cougar Speed Flight or something like that that launched these really big fat carbon arrows, and it definitely put the arch in archery, and and that was the kind of the beginning of it, you know. So um, probably hunted for like ten years <laughs> unsuccessfully with that with that dilapidated old equipment, but you know we tried, and um, it was fun. So. You grew up in, uh, did you grow up in Oregon? I did pretty much. We moved to Oregon when I was, um, oh, I think five. My dad was in the Marine Corps and when, um, he went to work for a, a John Deere dealership in central Oregon and when I think I was five or six anyways, lived in central Oregon until I was 15, uh, moved to Northern California for my last three years of high school and then back to Oregon as soon as I could after graduation. So pretty much out of the 46 years of my life, I think 39 of them have been in Oregon. 
Yeah. You so you got there. So you're on are you outside of Portland? Is that where you're at? Yeah. Yeah, just Malala, Oregon, which is like 40 minutes from the Portland airport. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And then, so you grew up kind of hunting. You got into archery. I also had a Martin bow for my first bow. I think it was a Pantera uh, shooting heavy arrows. What? Uh, when did you get serious about archery? Because you know there's a difference between being interested and committed, and that kind of defines bow hunting. Uh, when did you kind of get less interested and start really getting committed? I think, let's see. I actually, you know, I... I think the last, there was a period of time there where I think the last, it's embarrassing to admit, but I, I went out bow hunting and I think I missed like nine or 10 deer in one season. Yeah. <laughs> and I went and I just was like, and I was working a ton. I mean, I, I'm a, I was a, back then I was a field mechanic or mechanic for construction company, you know, working, you know, gazillion hours, just, just didn't, it wasn't a priority, you know, it was just a, a half-ass hobby, if I, if you will. Yeah. You know, so I actually sold that bow. I said, I can't do this. It's not fair. It's not right. Fortunately, the worst thing I ever wounded was a deer. I shot through the ear. Oh my God. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was all excited because I got blood, but yeah, you know, it was, it was just, it was just, I, I, I came to the realization that I just, I couldn't, I wasn't doing the right thing there. So, so I went back to rifle hunting for a year, a few years, and then actually I hired a guy that worked for me. This would have been early, early to mid 2000. I hired a guy that worked for me that was an archer and he was a pretty successful archery hunter. And he kind of took me under my wing, under his wing and, uh, um, taught me how to shoot a bow again. So that was probably mid two thousands. And that was, I, I, I got a Parker, um, Phoenix 32. And man, that bow was just like fit me like a glove. I shot the crap out of it. We'd go out every day at lunchtime and, sh you know, we'd shoot like 50, 60, 70 arrows a day, just having a ball, you know? Yeah. I mean, sh you could shoot the primer out of a shotgun shell at 70 yards, man. We were just, we were having a blast, you know? And um, um, that was when I really, really, you know, took to archery. I was at that point in my life, probably my heaviest, out of shape. You know, shot my bow a lot, still worked a lot, but didn't have the fitness thing dialed in, but kind of fell in love with archery at that point. So hunted a few years unsuccessfully, got kind of frustrated, you know, not going to be ashamed of this. Went to Idaho, hired an outfitter, did a, did a guided archery elk hunt in 2008 and uh, killed a nice six point bull up out of salmon idaho and was just like hooked at that point was like oh my gosh this is like the best thing ever and and then of course and since then i've done you know some guided hunts lots of self you know diy hunts and have killed i think 19 elk since then or bulls since then so oh good lord so you found a streak there you kind of that's a good learning curve. I mean, that's a long one, and yeah, it it's a yeah. good. It's good. Uh, people are inspired hearing that. Uh, I want to go back to what you said about uh, not ashamed to admit you hired an outfitter. I, I do on this podcast preach public land. Do it yourself. Buy your tag at Walmart. I get that, but I got to tell you, there's a lot of value to finding a really good outfitter when you just don't know anything about elk hunting and speeding up your learning curve. How much did you learn from that outfitter in Idaho on that elk hunt? I learned everything about elk hunting. You know, we they're this particular group of guys. They call some, but not a lot. You know, we just do a lot of covering ground, and I learned a lot about you know elk habitat and where the elk tend to like to feed and water, and you know the benches and different things that they use for bedding areas. And the learning curve was. I mean, super shortened. I mean, honestly, I mean, you took five or six years of what you probably would have gathered on your own and compressed it into a six day season, you know? So, um, it, it was a life changer for me. I mean, I, I just didn't, I didn't, uh, I, my, I didn't have the, you know, I guess the family can, you know, of hunters that kind of brought me through that process, you know? Yeah. And so this was the way for me to, 
<laughs> cheat and, and shorten the curve. Well, I know there's know? a lot of people in your situation. They didn't grow up in a, a hunting family. Something's clicked. They're inspired. Maybe they love archery or they just want to come out west. It's not a bad idea, Scott. I uh, I have a similar story. It's not with elk, though. Elk, I just learned on my own the very, very hard way, and it was terrible. I sucked at elk hunting. And I'm not that I'm great at it now, but I don't suck. I would say I definitely don't suck, and it's just a lot of years. And what I did was I hired an outfitter in 2000, I think, six or seven in Idaho for uh, spring bear. And I went with these guys, and they're still operating. And I went out with them and I just took notes, mental notes on everything they did because they were baiting bears. And after that, I was like, I can do this on my own. And I started doing my own bear baits, started killing bears. Next thing you know, started killing two bears a year, some years three because I hunt different states. Just found a huge passion for bear hunting. Totally learned from outfitters. And I got no shame in saying that. So that's something, that's a good angle to bring up for guys listening that, um, you know, this podcast is all about shortening that learning curve. It's all about, you know, leveraging elk hunting. So you find well, you know, success. Not to, inter- not to interrupt, but, but not, to, not to interrupt, but we didn't have things like University of Elk, you know, Corey, Corey Jacobson's university thing back then. We didn't have, we had books, right? We had all the great books written by Jim Zumbo or, and I read them feverishly, right? But you know, or your elk camp that you got coming up or the one you just did, those, those opportunities are huge now. Right. I mean, yeah. and we didn't, you know, so you had, you, you had to, you had to work a little harder for that success and you found those ways. Cause you know, that's the way you are, you know, and, and, um, it's, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's a pretty good time to be an elk hunter right now. Amen to that. So <laughs> you get your fire lit, you're, you go into the streak of 19 bulls, like, what what did you weigh what was your heaviest and what got you off the couch or what got you to where you're at now which you're an absolute beast you won't say it but i will what what happened what was the change um well going hunting with those guys in idaho was was probably the beginning of course watching cameron haynes through those years was always an inspiration i suppose but or no doubt about that, just, you know, but um, going out and hunting with these guys in Idaho and how fit they were, I mean, these guys would climb hills and just leave you in the dust. Of course, they were polite gentlemen, and they didn't do it to you to make you feel bad. They just they just hiked, right? And and so I was really good for two or three days because I had a lot of heart, but, man, after two or three days, if I didn't kill an elk, I was in trouble. And uh, um, I was like, I just was came to the self-realization there that I said, I man, I got to change. If I want to hunt like this and hunt the places that I like to hunt, like, you know, Oregon's Hell's Canyon is my favorite place to go or anywhere in the coast range. I mean, it's steep, it's deep, it's not easy, you know? So that was, that was, you know, kind of that point of change. And I made a little bit of a change for a few years and kind of swung back. And the heaviest I ever was, was I think north of 280 pounds, you know, I was wearing jeans that were like a 40 inch waistline and I was, I was refusing to go any larger. I was just like, there's no way I'm going to buy a pair of pants that's bigger than a 40 inch waist. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know, and I'm not a small guy. I mean, even now, even being fit, I'm a, a pretty low body percent. I'm still at like 240. You know? Yeah. So I'm a good sized guy anyways, but, um, uh, of course, I've stacked on quite a bit of muscle, so, but it, that's a whole other story. Um, so hunting with those guys was a big turning point for me. Um, watching the—I don't know if you ever seen the Purgatory movies that those two brothers from Oregon did, where they hunted Hell's Canyon out of their backpacks. Can we talk um, about that for a second? I have heard about that film, and I know they got in trouble. They didn't have film permits, and they had to take it off the market. But dude. I've looked. I've tried to find DVDs because I would. I still need to see those. So there's nothing on the internet that I can find. If anybody knows out there where I can watch that Purgatory from those Oregon guys, let me know. I want to see it. Okay. Well, I've got them. So I'll, if I come to Elk Camp, I'll bring them with me. Okay. We'll have a movie night. I can't wait, man. <laughs> this thing's spun up so big in my head. But yeah, tell us about it. Well, so those were those those were huge for me. Just the way those guys hunted out of their backpacks for elk and Hell's Canyon, I was just like, 
that was it, man. I, I had to change. I had to, I had to be able to do that. And I did a, I did a Hell's Canyon hunt. We, we, we put in at Pittsburgh Rapids on a jet boat, went downstream and then, and then hiked up to the top from there. And it killed me. It was tough, you know? So, and, and, and it's funny that we were in there about the same time we actually saw, um, those two brothers in there the same time we were in there hunting. It's kind of, kind of comical, but that's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, um so you know and then of course the born and raised guys watching them that was actually my motivation i would honestly get on an elliptical machine at work we had a little fitness room and i would watch their dvds whether it was tagged out or the reason or the other one they had and watch their dvds over and over while i'm on a freaking elliptical trying to shed off some pounds so that it became comfortable to run and do other other stuff you know and just work through it just stuck with it i remember to, to keep telling myself it hurts now but it'll feel better when it gets easy you know when, when this weight comes off so yeah so you told yourself that and that's you that self-talk is so key man it's everything even when you're in the field elk hunting it's that self-talk it's those all that time being uncomfortable away from the mountains really can pay off when you're guaranteed to be uncomfortable on day four like you said and it's, it's like a science i swear could take anybody who thinks they're fit elk hunting with me in Idaho and just the terrain after three days, no sleep, and <laughs> chasing bugles, it does something to your body on day four, right? Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. So you got the elliptical. What weight did you get down to? And then like kind of what – I mean something really had to be a catalyst after that to get you to where you're at now. I don't remember what I got down to, but I had shed quite – maybe 40 pounds or something. I don't remember what it was, but um, I remember – see, that started uh, late 2013. So about, you know, that next summer was when the, the very – the train-to-hunt challenges were on the road. They were no longer just at Bogan Bases Basin, you know, and Kenton was doing them in different regional sites, right? So there was an Oregon – Oregon trained to hunt and a friend says man you should try it I know how hard you've been working out come out and try it you know so I did and then it was like I was, it was like full stupid from that point on I was like hooked I was how, like this how'd you do on the first one I think I got second wow yeah I was chasing old Wayne Endicott of course he blew me out of the water the disc the gap from first to second was pretty large yeah <laughs> but uh yeah, I, had, I think I was at second, and a guy named Drew Bailey was in third, and and uh, and that was honestly, you know, due to probably more good shooting than fitness, but you know, because I was a pretty good shot back then, but uh, um, that you know, it was that was it was just I fell in love with that environment, that you know, and what it was doing for me for 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 elk hunting, you know, yes. so. I loved it, I, you know, and of course at that point I was just like in Kenton's ear constantly about what I could do to be better and because I wanted to, you know, <laughs> go all the way, you know. So I remember I went to nationals that first year and got my butt handed to me. I don't remember. I think I probably got like 10th place at nationals or something and uh, just stayed after it. I think I've done, I don't know, I think I've done 12 or 14 train hunts since then. I don't remember. I've lost count. Holy smokes. <laughs> so okay so you do train to hunt you, you get a taste of competition you now have kind of this huge why like all your training is to win it train to hunt and it's going to make you in great shape for elk hunting it becomes a lifestyle i know you've started winning train to hunts when did that happen um well it seems like let's see the second year i got second again at oregon I don't remember at nationals might've got like sixth or eighth. So it was improving still chasing Wayne Endicott. <laughs> uh, the third year is when I, I think when I started, um, I think that's when I won at Oregon and a few other States. And then I think, I don't remember where I got at nationals. Um, I think the fourth year is when I finally, maybe got on the podium at nationals. I think I got third there. So it's been a few years. It's been a lot of fun. So, um, 
you know, it, but it's gotten tougher. I mean, the train to hunt thing's gotten bigger and better and the competition's stiffer and people are training really hard and it, it, and it's, you know, it's always fun and it's a great community. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a blast to just throw down and see where you're at, get that measuring stick and see if you're ready for hunting season, you know? Yeah. So for the guys that didn't catch the, a couple episodes back, I had Kenton from train to hunt on. We kind of had a, like a reunion podcast had been like six years since we parted ways on train to hunt and he took over and I took over the business at the gym and it was such a fun time to catch up. Him and I are, we've actually stayed in touch throughout the whole time. Um, we probably didn't do a good job of saying that on the podcast, but we, yeah, he'd stop by at the gym at least a couple times a year. I'd see him out hunting, but, um, it was fun. Him and I pick up right where we left off and we have really good chemistry. Like we just, we vibe well. We're a lot alike. Um, the reason why I bring that up is because I think that Kenton's really evolved train to hunt into something really special now. And the challenges are, it's a lot more dialed and there's a lot less like, it's kind of more, I'd say, open for anyone that's really wanting to put themselves out there. And it's totally doable. And even if you're really elite, you're going to get a test. And if you're really not elite, you're going to get a great workout and learn some things about yourself, which is all you could ask for. Like you said, a measuring stick. Um, once you kind of wind it down from train to hunt, where did your fitness go from there? Um, well, I, you know, I started going to a CrossFit gym um, a year ago, September. So, you know, I kind of, I, I had a friend that owned a box in Cas, uh, Castle Rock, Colorado, and he was always in my ear going, man, I know how hard you're training. You know, I think your way for the success you're looking for is through CrossFit. And I didn't believe him. And I kind of, kind of was like, no, nah, no, I'm going to keep doing this train to hunt style training and which is fantastic. But, um, I learned that I needed to work in a competitive environment. Yes. And, and uh, some coaching that held me accountable to a clock, you know, and, uh, and there's nothing better than just showing up to the box and just doing the work that's programmed. It's freaking awesome. You just, and so I just kind of fell in love with that process, you know, and, and, and uh really really enjoy it you know so uh I, I that's it that's that's where i'm at with with you know now my current training other than other than some you know outdoor fitness stuff that i host that's kind of trained to hunt style um that we you know i'm sure you want to talk about too oh yeah we're so, gonna get into that hammer and chisel stuff uh, which I yeah. love. I love the name. Let's go into CrossFit a little bit. So, if people have been listening long enough, it's no secret. I own one. I do it, and that's about all I do to be ready for hunting. And I say that I can go any time throughout the year. I could go elk hunting and do really well. And to me, like, what? How many other programs are out there where you can say that? And I'll even go another step further. I said this at the Elk Shape Camp. Is you take anybody's workout. It could be trained to hunt. It could be, uh, there's some other ones out there. I'm not going to say names, but you can name any work workout and I'll go do it with whoever. And I'm going to do really well. I'm going to do really well. And I can take whoever's program and have them come with me to my gym and have them do CrossFit. And chances are, I'm probably going to crush them. Okay. Then we're going to go get a stranger off the street and say, hey, make up a fitness task. We'll all go do it and compete at it. And I'll probably do better at that because there's just so much diversity in CrossFit. And that, and I always say this, but it's not to impress anyone. It's to impress upon you that the shit works. It's really yeah. good medicine when done right with a good coach, quality programming, and you're taking care of your body. Um, so let's talk about your journey in this last year. I want to not only know the results, but I want to know maybe a benchmark workout you did early on that might might as well be a warm up for you now, if you have a story for that. Um, you know, our, our gym does. I, I know we do a lot of benchmark workouts, but I haven't really tracked them. We we do track them on Wattify, you know, and there's certain ones that just they still crush me. Like you know, uh, um, what is it, Fran? Yeah. Which one's Fran? Twenty-one, fifteen, nine thrusters okay. and pull-ups. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's just misery for me, you know. Or 
<laughs> so I don't know if I've gotten better at it or not. Probably. Probably. Know, thrusters are just a bugger, and 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 you know I don't. I'm not great at kipping on pull-ups, so I just I just muscle my way through them, and <laughs> you know it's pretty comical to be honest with you. But uh, you know uh, I, I've enjoyed this. I, I enjoyed the strength element to CrossFit, so I have a tendency to focus a lot on the strength um, and put up some pretty good numbers sometimes. And then, uh, um, and then I, I, I enjoy working on the engine. You know, today's workout is a is a you know six six different rounds of of um, some rowing and, and different exercises, and I'm looking forward to it because it's going to be a 30 minute. Metcon that just believe you as a puddle of sweat laying on the floor. Nothing's difficult. Nothing's real technical or gymnastic in nature. It's just work and getting it done. I you love know? And, those. And those are the kind of workouts I like, where you just grind for thirty to forty minutes and just you got nothing to give when it's over. You know. Well, so, you you mentioned thrusters. So at uh, the first elk shape camp, I mean, I didn't have a ton of time with these guys. I I had to share my time with backpack systems nutrition backcountry nutrition elk calling was so important archery coaching and our mock train to hunt course i mean but with the time i did have i taught these guys how to warm up the way i thought they should that took 20 minutes and injury prevention but we showed them core lift scott and back squat was on there and thruster was on there because i just feel like those two movements alone can do any elk hunter a lot of good um I'd say the squat is probably the most fundamental movement you can do and work on nonstop, and it still needs work. Where is your back squat at right now? At in age, what did you say you are? Forty what? Forty six. So a forty six year old guy knocking on fifty. What's your back squat at? I think it's around four and a quarter. I did four ten for three reps the other day. Oh yeah, you're four and a quarter. So, you know, so, yeah, you would hit 425. So that's such a huge number. That's a great – and I've seen, your, I've seen your Instagram squats. They're not shallow. They're deep, ass to grass, legitimate back squats. And, dude, that's, that's so important because every day you don't squat, you're a day closer to not being able to squat, not being able to hunt, not being able to take your kids hunting and do what we love and what we live for. And thrusters is yeah. another movement where it's just so uh, – such a movement that requires so many muscles and one single voluntary effort just sucks the oxygen right out of you, just like the mountains. You know what I yeah. mean? And when you can get oh, yeah. your ability, your you know, that lactic threshold, when you can improve upon that and you will be out of breath less, you will need less rest, and you will catch up to those elk a lot faster. You're going to put yourself in just a few more setups, and it just could be the right one to get you that hard-earned shot opportunity which is what I love about elk hunting. It's just like what you said. It's just, it's just work. It's, it's, there's nothing technical too much. It's just put the work in and you should get your shot opportunity, which I love. Yeah. I love that. So um, having a CrossFit coach, um, what's that been like being coached by somebody? Um, having the programming taken care, of, taken care for you, you just show up and do the work. What's that been like? Oh, it's, I love it. I mean, when we've got some really good coaches, you know, and so they're not afraid to say, Hey, you're doing that wrong. <laughs> you know, it, you know, they're always, they know, they know about my goals and what I do with train to hunt or hunting. And so they're just like the, the, the you know, that they'll build, they'll build parallels for me and be like, okay, so if you're, you know, you're doing this and you're climbing to the top of the mountain, you're going to make this shot, you know, you got to have your gas tank, you got to pace yourself. You know, we just talk a lot about those things, you know, and, it's just awesome having a coach that programming is, is, I don't, you know, it's so nice to just show up and not think about, okay, what am I going to do today? It's, it's already mapped out for you. You're just going to do the work, you know? So, um, and, and then of course having the coaches there to keep you from getting injured, you know, I mean, I'm a pretty big, strong guy. And if I do things wrong and tear myself up, then what? Then I'm no good. So the coaches are there, you know, they're kind of like devil's advocate there for you. So if, you know, if you're doing something that you shouldn't, they're, they're going to stop you. You're going to say, Hey, you know, you need to, you need to change this or correct this so that you don't, you know, wreck your back or tear up a knee, you know, and then, and then not be able to hunt, which is what we're all working for. Right. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's probably the, the single greatest part of having a coach. 
You know, I like what you said about the programming part, and I don't want to talk about CrossFit the whole podcast, but, you know, I program for 200-plus athletes, and when it comes down to my own programming, dude, I don't want to do my own programming. I want someone else who's got, you know, pretty much no bias, and they're going to just expose my weaknesses. So I have a coach who does my programming, and they put stuff in there that I just absolutely, I, I tell you, man, I would have never programmed that, which is great, right? Um, yesterday, for example, I was doing a 1K row and an 800-meter run, three rounds, rest two minutes between rounds. So obviously trying to have consistent splits. Dude, I'm not going to program that. I don't enjoy rowing at all. I'm short. I have small levers, and the rower gets me. And then to compound that with running, which I'm pretty good at running, it was just something it's just the time domain and stuff that I just wouldn't have done as a finisher and it it was great I had to do the work and so I love having just stuff programmed for me and I just got to put the work in um home gym let's move on to a home gym stuff do you have any garage gym stuff yeah I have a gym I put in at work um it's pretty simple it's just got some free weight free weights in there and I don't use it now that I've got the, you know, go to the CrossFit box that it doesn't get used much. Right. So, um, it's available to me though. So, um, I do, if I can't get to the box one day or whatever, I'll, I'll go on Wattify, see what everybody did and just do it myself there at the little, my little makeshift, you know. Do you have dumbbells? Do you have barbells? Dumbbells, barbells, got a squat rack, um, you know, about 300 pounds of weights, um, there's a pull-up rack, you know, it's a, you know, it's a Nordic track kind of rig that has some cable stuff that you could do too, but it's more of a free weight rack. So it's kind of, it's kind of slick. Works good for a fill-in. Yeah. I'm contemplating down the road, like creating some hunting programming, uh, for like garage gym stuff. Uh, I don't work out in a garage gym every day, but I do at least once a week. Just I have an office day, and I don't want to go into the gym, and I can work from home. And so I've outfitted myself with, I would say, a pretty like basic setup. It's very similar to yours. I have a basic squat stands, so it's not a rack, uh, a bar, 300 pounds of weight, bumpers, uh, a pull-up bar mounted to the wall, a uh, set of crossover symmetry for just the shoulder injury prevention, and then a couple of dumbbells, not not a lot. I got 50s and 25s. I got a box, just a 20, 24, 30 inch box. Got a weight vest, uh, a 20 pound weight vest, and one kettlebell. And <laughs> for conditioning, I have I did spoil myself recently. Um, I have a Concept Two skier that's mounted to the wall and a assault bike. So I have more than enough stuff in there. Don't have a sandbag. I usually just use, like, I have a training backpack. Um, I just ordered, uh, I think it's called the Atlas backpack from Outdoorsman. Have you seen those? Oh, yeah, with the the dowel in the center for putting a weight plate on it. Yeah, you just have a dowel in the center. You put a weight. You can put, like, a 45 on or whatever. I'm going to do that for some rucking. Uh, I'm a firm believer in rucking once a week. Uh, I don't think you need to hike all the time. But I guess we're probably different. I think you and I both have experienced the benefits of resistance training coupled with rucking and all the interval stuff that you do through CrossFit. You don't have to spend a lot of time on the mountain to get in shape. I don't know that many people that have a mountain right next door. It's just uh, it might not be logistically or just realistic to get all that hiking in that I guess would be great. But I've found that what I'm doing is working. Do you ruck much? I do as I'm preparing for train to hunt. I'll try to try to get out with my pack once a week, or if or if the box pro, box programs, you know, we'll they they they'll program a lot where we'll we'll have a sprint, you know, between rounds, you know, a 400 meter sprint or something, and I'll grab a 50 pound brute force bag and run with that nice. while everybody's while everybody's running without. But if I'm prepping for for train to hunt, I've got that darn sandbag attached to me somewhere. <laughs> That's great. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, and I'm, that's the part of my, I guess my home gym I left out is I do have some brute force bags. I got an 80 pounder and a 50 pounder that pretty much stay in my pickup, and I've got a box that I made that stays in my pickup, so that I've always got my gear to do that kind of stuff, you know. Um, 
Dude, that's I'm doing legit. a hammer and chisel, hammer and chisel workout or, or whatever. So what do you guys do at hammer and chisel? Like take us through kind of the start of that and what it's evolved to. Well, it started, um, it started, I started it kind of because train to hunt used to have like every day you'd log onto the site and there was a workout and you could do it. And then you got to kind of report on there how you did, and other people would report. And you kind of, you, it kind of had a measuring stick about how, you know, how you were doing compared on others. Not that you should compare your fitness to others, but I do. I'm sorry, I, it's just the way I am. <laughs> so I'm wired. But uh, um, when when that went away, I kind of missed it. I was like, man, where did you know? So I, I thought, well, I'm gonna kind of create it on my own. I, started this Facebook page called Hammer and Chisel for the Hunter. I invited friends that do train to hunt to be part of it. I was like, hey, man, share your workouts. Let's And we'll do a weekly workout and we'll, you know, and just have some fun and encourage each other. Share whatever you want that's fitness related. And then you're not blasting everybody on Facebook that doesn't care about it with all this fitness stuff that sometimes annoys people. So right. it kind of gives you this safe spot to share what you're doing in, in an environment that kind of supports it. Right. So, Love it. and it just kind of took off, you know, I, the only requirement to be a member of the page is to be active, you know, and if you're not active, I might boot you, <laughs> you know, but there's a lot of lurkers, you know, and, and it's interesting every time that I go to a social function, whether it's a, maybe a sportsman show or or a train to hunt, someone always comes up and says, man, I love that page. I love the inspiration. I love everybody's work. I like to take people's workouts that they're doing and do them myself. And it's, it's just kind of become this kind of fun little community of other hunters that are fitness minded and, and even some that aren't hunters, but they're all kind of sharing what they're doing. There's a lot of encouragement and it's, it's really positive. I love it. So there was always, through that a lot of people were like hey you need to have start having some group workouts so i did you know a couple years ago like i think on uh, new year's or something I, I i threw out an invite to folks and said hey i'm going to do a group workout at the archery range for new year's and we're going to go and we're basically going to do the train to hunt challenge at the archery course you know and we did and it was kind of fun and people were like man you need to keep doing that so it just kind of grew and then now well last year about Easter, I started it. I just did it every week on Thursday night at six o'clock. We would we'll, we have a group hammer and chisel workout, um, and I always program some kind of strange, <laughs> challenging workout for everybody to do that uh, has shooting involved. Typically has rucking involved, a lot of burpees, a lot of lunges, yes. uh, box step ups, weighted box step ups. Um, the, you know, train to hunt favorite get ups this week's, this week's workouts got 40 get ups for on, on, as part of an AMRAP that's folks are going to just really enjoy. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and we just, we just every week, I mean, I, I haven't programmed anything that everybody's like, when we're done with it, everybody's like, Oh, that was really tough, but it was awesome. You know? And I'm just like, Holy cow. I can't believe what I can get away with here that put people through. And I actually think it's fun. That's, <laughs> dude, that's such a cool environment. And you know, hammer and chisel, iron sharpens iron. You guys are feeding off each other. That's pretty exciting. I think that's, I think that's next level. I, I should do something. I have the resources and facility to do something like that. I sure would. I sure would love that. Um, well, let's transition to elk hunting, bro. Uh, I can't get enough of elk hunting. Do you do you have any tags in your pocket already? This year, I'm just gonna. I'm pretty much just gonna be the over-the-counter warrior. Um, I didn't really put in for anything. Uh, I struggled last year here in Oregon on a couple of really big Roosevelt bulls that I was chasing, and then we kept getting distracted by going off to Idaho and hunting there. And so my plan this year is I am going to kill one of these big bulls if it takes me all season. So, um, I mean, I was chasing around a couple, honest to God, you know, 300 plus inch Roosevelt's that, wow. uh, I, you know, I had multiple opportunities. Unfortunately, I missed one bull more than once, uh, in, in a, in a, um, you know, I called him into some heavy timber and I kept deflecting off of branches and, you know, it's, 
it sounds like my coastal hunting is very similar to your northern Idaho hunting as far as the thickness of the terrain. I, I have never hunted northern Idaho, so I don't know, but it's a battle sometimes trying to weave an arrow through these, you know, thickets of branches and <laughs> and and stuff that sometimes you get these bulls, you know, to, to come into. So um, that's where I'm going to be. I, I did, I did um, get some whitetail hunting access in northeast Oregon that I'm going to do. Um, I've never killed a big whitetail, so I'm kind of excited about that. But uh, as far as archery elk, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm 100% committed to these Roosevelt's until one's dead. And then if I got time, I'm going to Idaho or Colorado or some other state. I can just buy an over-the-counter tag in and go hunt some more. Yeah. So, so how do you set that up with your work? Are you, are you the owner of your business? How does that all play out? No, um, I'm the fleet manager for a pretty good sized construction company. And, uh, I've worked here for 27 years, I think. And, uh, I've, they're very, they're very flexible with me. You know, um, as long as business is taken care of, I can pretty much do what I want. Yeah. And, uh, I have a really good staff, the guys that work for me and the gals in the office, they're, they're, they can function without me. And, um, they're, they're top notch folks. And it gives me the, the flexibility to go hunt when, when the time is right. So are you the kind of guy that when you're hunting, do you have to turn that phone on at some point to check emails, check fires, or do you, are you able to shut things down and go for a solid week? No, I, I stay connected. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I, yeah, that's one weakness I feel like I have sometimes is I like to be in touch. I like to be available. Um, and I feel like I'm still, I'm still doing my job if I'm available. So, um, you know, I, I stay, I stay on top of things. I'll hike to the top of a mountain and check emails if I have to. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Well, let's talk about a little bit of tactics and stuff for, for Roosevelt's and, and as it parallels to North Idaho. So I think I think uh, Oregon is thicker. I want to say that. Like, the, there's going to be more open timber in North Idaho. I know that Idaho is steeper, and if you flattened out North Idaho, it'd be it's state of itself. It's it's very straight up and down, but it is it does get thick. And I think both of us are in situations where the elk are technically more callable, for lack of a better term. You can communicate more with these elk. Uh, and they have a huge advantage because they can get right in on your business and you can't get a shot. So they're, they're pretty safe and they know it. They, they're, they're obviously survival experts. That's what I call all elk. And when it comes to getting in close, that's, that's one part of it, but it's also your setups and stuff. So what are you going to do different or how has your game evolved when it comes to calling these bigger class, older class elk and such tight country? Well, I think last year the difference for me was is I spent a little less time out in the clear cuts chasing elk out in the wide open, okay. you know, yeah. and get, getting in the timber with them. And really, you know, these bigger bulls would talk to me in the timber, you know, where we're out in the out in the clear cuts, you know, I'd get close and do some calling and they, they would just circle up the cows and leave, you know. So I just learned that, like, recently you know and, and, and some of that's from watching those guys with the angry spike productions yeah you know they get after they get after the big bulls and they're doing it in the thick stuff you know they're not they're not chasing bulls in the clear cuts you know no and that's where i've killed a lot of smaller you know i've killed i don't know five or six roosevelt bulls you know but they've all been smaller guys out in clear cuts you know little bachelor herds and putting the sneak on them and either getting close enough to make a shot or you know call one away and and, and and get them that way but i really really enjoyed last year getting into that those you know deep darker you know heavy timbered canyons and and then just firing off a bugle and getting that response and it was it's pretty epic these they came in they came in hard and they were they were pissed off it was it's pretty awesome definitely <laughs> really really enjoyed it and there's nothing better than being laying down in three foot tall ferns and seeing antlers walk by you at 16 yards on a six by seven roosevelt bull it's you know it's pretty epic 
<laughs> so do you think you know? um, to, to locate out, because guys, that's probably the number one question I get besides scouting questions is like these dudes are elk hunting, right? And they're just struggling to find elk. What advice do you have, whether it be general or super specific? Like how are you finding these elk to hunt? Well, a lot of a lot of times I am glassing them up, you know, where I'll spot them out in the clear cuts and then watch them go into the timber and then pursue them into the timber. But sometimes I'm just diving into these into these canyons and just calling, you know, throwing out a location bugle and trying to get a response. If I, you know, and and um, sometimes sometimes you get it and sometimes you know often you don't, you know. So I was lucky. This year, I felt like I found I found a wallow late late in the summer, early fall that the bulls were using before they split up. Yeah, and it was a kind of a bachelor group of bulls that were using this wallow, not frequently, but enough that I knew there was four or five different bulls, and then it was really I, it was really interesting to see how those that group of bulls split up, took on different herds of cows in four or five different drainages within just a few miles of where I was hunting or where that, where that wallow was. And it just kind of like, here's our cow, here's my cows and this is my drainage. And that's where that bull was. And this is my cows and here's my drainage. And it was just, I kind of learned a little bit. It felt like about kind of how that group, group of elk operated maybe, you know? And, uh, and I was able to kind of pinpoint, well, this bull's here and this bull's here. And they just had their drainages that they stayed in with their cows you know, and it was kind of interesting. So I think we could clue in on that a little bit because I'm in the same boat, like le- always trying to learn. I'm a huge advocate of trail cameras, not like you could make a law that says no trail cameras during hunting season. I'd be okay. I use trail cameras to scout, um, throughout the summer and I have over a decade of running cameras and I save everything to a couple different hard drives and then I get nerdy and organize it pretty well. And I got a couple of really big bulls that I can I could kill them up till August 15th if I were allowed. And then as soon as that velvet's off, they're gone till literally about Halloween. And that's a couple-day fluctuation, but you could almost set a calendar to it. And then they're back around Halloween or a couple days before, um, back in these little hell holes by themselves or back grouped up. And it's like clockwork. And so... There's a couple of them where I just cannot figure out where they go to rut. Just can't do it. Uh, maybe I'm not going far enough into other drainages, but I mean, I got a pretty wide spread of cameras trying to figure out where each bull goes. And I'm not sure if it changes year to year in some places. I'm sure it does. In some other places, you can hunt the same bull year in and year out. Now, will that bull be in that drainage before the rut? Probably not. They probably summer in different areas and they all have their places they go to rut. Have you noticed that uh, in your neck of the woods over there in Oregon that uh, certain bulls will rut in the same drainages year after year? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, um, a lot of this t- private timber ground is is tough, you know, because so you have limited, you, you just can't explore. You're, you're kind of stuck to the chunk of ground that you have permission to be on, you know, well, yeah, down in the area where I'm hunting anyways, you know. So I know I generally, you know, kind of, these areas that I've been hunting and, you know, at least on the Southern Oregon coast, um, the bulls tend to be kind of in the same spots, like you're saying, you know, I mean, this is kind of, this tends to be where they're kind of hanging out and kind of follow suit year after year. And there's a, you know, there's a big bull we called, um, tiptoe that we always kind of saw him on the same Ridge, you know, at the same time, it almost crossed the same saddle the same day, one, one year apart it seemed like you know and it was kind of like kind of interesting how how you know that pattern you know where he would kind of be in one drainage and then about the same same day every year he'd cross this ridge over into another drainage you know and and uh kind of became patternable that way we never killed that bull i don't know what happened to him he just finally disappeared yeah that's so, happened I don't know, to me too quite a bit you know, I would say yeah. they, they have their programs especially the older bulls, they, their program's working, obviously. They tend to stick to them, and it's super fascinating. And I would say, in, in my neck of the woods, North Idaho speaking, like I would say classify that as from about, oh, McCall North. It's a pretty big area, but 
the herd sizes aren't as big as you think. And in certain areas where there's more wolves, the, the herd sizes are even smaller. When I mean bull to cow, like usually a herd bull in, in some areas have anywhere between two to three cows and that's the herd versus in some areas you might get close to double digit but there's definitely nothing like i've seen in the southwest where a bull's running 30 cows that's just i don't see that what's that like for you in the roosevelt country over there in oregon is it what's the average cows to a bull i've seen them i've never seen big huge herds generally i mean if you see a bull with 12 to 14 cows that's a lot you know a lot of times it'll just be one bull and you know, six or seven cows, you know, sometimes just like, like I killed a six by seven a couple years ago that was not, you know, a, a fairly decent bull. I wouldn't say he was a giant. He had four cows and he was super aggressive. I mean, I called him in across the wide open clear cut, shot him at 18 yards, you know, and, and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, so I don't know what his deal was, but the time was right and he wanted to fight. So, uh, but then last year, this big bull that I chased all year, I think he, at one point, real early in the season, almost almost like opening weekend of the weekend after, uh, he must have had, I don't know, 15 or 16 cows. I mean, which I thought was a pretty big herd for a coastal elk, you know. So kind of kind of the, from what I've seen anyways, you know. So your season in Oregon opens, like, I think, what, the last Saturday of August usually? Yeah. Something like that. Do you get out there that early season or do you feel like it's just not worth your time? No, I like to get out there. The coast, I like to get after them early. Um, I I usually kill an elk on the coast by the 10th or 12th. Okay. So that, and that leaves me the rest of the month to go play around in Idaho or whatever. So I find that I have the best luck early with, with these elk over here. You know, there won't be a lot of, like last year, there wasn't a lot of calling early, but within, I want to say, uh, around the 5th or 6th, you know, I was seeing bulls with cows, and they were talking. Okay, yeah. And so when they're not talking, are you still hunting? Are you hunting wallows? Or are you just doing soft, you know, like setting up and doing some soft calling and kind of doing that blind? Or what? what's your tactic go-to, let's say, pre-September 6th on the coast? Um, I still try to call. I mean, I guess I've taken a page out of the born and raised guys book, you know, I'm still out there bugling off ridges, trying to get a response, but I do, I, I do. I mean, like that wallow, I was telling you about those bulls were on. I was, I was camping on that a little bit. I had enough pictures of them coming in there that I was hoping to catch one of them on that wallow, you know, so I would, I would, you know, go out in the mornings and kind of call and cover terrain and and do a lot of glassing and then in the evening sit in that stand and try to catch them coming in and um kind of a combination of the two i don't i'm not a very good stand hunter i'm good for about three hours and i'm so bored to tears i i gotta go amen to that so when you move over to idaho or colorado you're over the counter you know you're playing with house money you've already killed an elk which is a great spot to be in um, are you kind of a hunt from a truck guy bugling off, you know, down into holes uh, in Idaho or are you more or less backpacking in? What's your style for Idaho? Well, to date, all my Idaho hunts, other than other than the one that I did with Lampers a couple years ago, um, have been guided. They've been with the, that outfitter out of Salmon. I, okay. You know, I've fallen in love with that family and I hunted every year with them from, from 2008 until last year. This year I didn't book again with them um but uh so we always horseback in you know wall tent camp we're on you know national forest ground and um that's a lot of just the hunting style we do there is a lot of just covering ground looking for you know a lot of these you know it's really it's steep country timbered you know, we find these little benches and stuff and do a lot of calling and just, you know, try try to call in bulls where we can, you know, get a response and go after them. We have, we've done some, you know, some sitting on water there and had success with that early in the seasons, you know. Uh, Idaho is, it's hot during archery season, so, we'll, I mean, water works. So, so, I've been to that country a little bit, and I'm here to tell you those mountains are super steep. 
and the elevation change from valley floor to the top where the elk are probably at, I'm guessing a couple thousand feet easy. Uh, very physical. Are those elk coming into agricultural, private, and then coming back into national, or are these elk just way back in national forest? They're way back in. They're 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 too far from any of the agricultural fields down in, down closer to town there. Wow. So they're yeah they're and, and there will be a lot of those elk. We find them are between eight and nine thousand foot. No you know, kidding. Yeah, up in those high saddles. You know, and, um, what's the hunting pretty limited. It's pretty, um, pretty low. We don't see a lot of competition out in there. You know, we're generally two or three hour horseback ride into where we're starting from, Yeah. you know, and then, so, um, kind of, but there's, you know, Idaho's got some different access than what I'm used to here in Oregon. As far as there's, you know, some of that country, you can ride two wheel motorcycles into, and so you get a little bit of. You get a little bit of access there. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't know the whole all the rules on the on the management plan there because there's a there's a point where they cut that off. I think where the motorcycle guys can't ride back into some of the areas we're in. You know, the old lo- the old road systems that could intersect some of that country. Well, generally but, speaking, for those that don't know, like we're talking kind of vaguely southeast Idaho, which is a great place to start. Uh, it's big country. Uh, haven't really hunted there myself for elk per se, but I was thinking the wolves weren't as bad as they can't be as bad as they are where I'm at, where freaking run into wolves almost every time I go out. Uh, what is the wolf situation like over there? They're there, but they're not. It's, I mean, I've probably only seen a couple set of tracks in, you know, five or six years of hunting. Um, there's not. You know, Unit 28, I think, has more than where we're at. Yeah. But, you know, maybe I shouldn't mention unit numbers, but... We don't mention unit numbers here. (laughs) Yeah, we don't talk unit numbers. Yeah, so... You you will have, like, a bunch of guys, literally, I'm learning. um, And I don't think it's any secret where I hunt in Idaho. Like, people are smart and have figured out. And I'm seeing more and more people. And um, I will say, for the record, your success will never get in the way of my success. I stand by that. I think we as hunters got to stay united. Um, and if somebody's at your spot, man, just go bounce to the next one. Uh, you don't need to go on their heels. But where you're at, I, I, only seeing a little bit of wolf track here or there, that is that is awesome to hear because I can go find wolf tracks every time I leave the trailhead. Um but uh, I was wondering, you know, just kind of management-wise, how they were doing down there. And that's good to hear because there's a lot of ranching that goes down in the valleys between Salmon and uh, Arco from all the way up. And a lot of times ranchers can help take care of business because it's their livelihood. And so when yeah. you're in the areas there's no ranchers and it's remote, it's just tough to get trapping on any sort of management in there. So so the elk numbers are doing good. So you don't know if you're going back this year. Probably not. No, no. I mean, unless I tag out early in Oregon, I'm going to go to Idaho somewhere. I'm not going to hunt area that they've shown me. I wouldn't feel right with that. But um, there's some neighboring areas I'd like to, uh, you know, that I've been looking at that I definitely want to dive into and check out for sure. Yeah, thanks you for know, being or- a good human being because that's – a dirtbag move, folks. If you hunt with an outfitter for years and you're on public land with them and then you just don't hire them and you're in their area, it's the same thing as if a buddy showed you a honey hole and you go in there without them. So don't yeah. do that. That's that's cool to hear you say that. Um, yeah. I, I would want, never. I yeah. Mean, those, it's like family there. I would never burn those guys like that. I mean, and uh, you know, that's just not right. So That's cool. <laughs> so. Well, um, we may see you at the Elk Shape Camp, the one in June. Uh, for those that didn't know, I've been advertising the crap out of it. Still got a ways to go to fill that up. So if you're interested in learning everything from archery coaching, a private train-to-hunt course with Kenton, uh, I'll teach you the fitness nutrition stuff, no problem. And then uh, we're actually bringing in a financial coach, which I think is really cool. And the only reason I'm doing that, Scott, is because I've only done two financial podcasts, and they're both like the most downloaded of them all. So I think everybody does care about managing money in the future. So we'll have that guy there. His name's Jeff. He's a stud. Um, 
we're also going to be doing Ryan Lampers, which who you've hunted with. He's coming back to do backcountry nutrition, which is probably my favorite part. And then, of course, the bugler. Dirk Durham's coming in to do what he does and teach people how to use diaphragm reads and bugle tubes, which I got to tell you, Scott, like uh, he was I was learning some tricks from that guy. That guy. Unbelievable. Uh, he yeah. has mastered the fundamentals of blowing a reed and he shows you how to use the fundamentals once you've got those down to make any sound you want. Uh, it's incredible. So hopefully we get you up there, man. Um, I got a spot saved for you if you can come and just hopefully you can just be a part of it and we'll maybe take it on the road in 2020 to your neck of the woods. Yeah, no, that would be fantastic. So, no, I want to come. Like I, I told you, I mean, I, I actually was already planning on coming. So I haven't registered yet, but uh, I got that little bit of a conflict with my hammer and chisel group. Um, we got a group hike possibly going that same weekend that I feel obligated to go, even though I really would rather go to the L camp. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, so I'm just trying to sort through that, but. No, I feel you. I man. think it'd be fantastic. So, well, I hope. Besides that, I think I'm doing the death hike too. So, why would I want to do two 50 mile hikes in the same month? I don't know why anyone want to do any death hike uh, <laughs> unless there was prize money involved. I, I, I joke about that, but I get invited every year. Uh, Steve Speck's a good, really good friend of mine, and uh, to me, it comes down to priorities, and I just can't justify leaving my family when I'm going to leave them already a ton. For hunting, so I try to prioritize that. Do you got kids and married and all that stuff? I do. I've got three kids, but they're they're pretty well grown. My daughter's the youngest; she's twenty. She still kind of lives at home, I think. She's kind of in and out. Yeah. <laughs> and then my boys are both out, and my oldest son is married. He lives in New Mexico, and my middle son is soon to be married. So we're pretty much empty nesters. It's pretty awesome. What's that? I say your wife puts up with all this hunting. Yeah, yeah, she does pretty well until about November, and then she's had a belly full of it. But, yeah, she does real well with it. Yeah, dude, November <laughs> is a rough month around my neck of the woods when I get my neck gets swollen for whitetails, and Mama Bear's had absolutely her fill of me being gone. And so yeah. there's a lot of negotiating going on in November, I feel you. So, Scott, love yeah. having you on, man. You, you and I would be buds if you lived closer, so hopefully we can connect in June. Um, where can people find you on Instagram? On Instagram, I'm Scar Hunts is my uh, I guess Instagram handle or whatever it is, and then uh, you know the Hammer and Chisel for the Hunter is just a Facebook page that we talked about, and and that's about it. So, okay, man. Well, add so, me on that group if you get a chance. I want to check okay. it out. I want to see what yeah, people no are doing, and maybe try one of the workouts of the week. I'm always down for any type of workout, and. Have fun training. Make sure your training's fun and stay healthy, brother. And uh, maybe I'll see you in June. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for your time, Thanks bro. for having me on. Oh, yeah. All right. Bye.